Exodus 14, 10 through 16. It will be on the screen if you'd like to read along with me, or if you would like to pull out your phone Bibles, you can, or if you'd like to pull out your hard copy Bibles, you can, or if you just wanna close your eyes and listen as scripture washes over you, that is beautiful also. We're going to starting chapter, uh, verse 10. Verse 10, verse 16. Here we go. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Now, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert, exclamation point. Moses answered, I don't always say the punctuation, but it's important right here. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. We are in the second week of our series called Caught in Between, a series about the story of Moses. Last week, we talked about Moses and his calling to go to Egypt. If you missed that, it'll be on the, it's on the podcast. You can go check that out, as all of our sermons always are, which is so helpful for me because I get to hear what Robbins or Sheila or last week, Dr. Dill, whoever's preaching over there when I'm over here. So I'm so thankful for that resource. But if you happen to miss a week during the series and want to catch up, you can check out the sermons on the podcast. This week, um, we're going to be jumping in and continuing the story of Moses, but I did want to tell you, um, this series was born out of a book I read called Moses and the Journey to Leadership. I read it for um, my doctoral program I'm in right now in D.C., and this book helped me re-envision who Moses is. Moses has a much more sympathetic character than I realized. Moses has a much more approachable person, just like a normal guy who gets thrust into extraordinary circumstances. But this book was written by a rabbi. Um, by a Jewish professor at a, um, at a Jewish seminary up in New York, or up in the Northeast. And um, one of the things that I love about being able to read about the Old Testament from a Jewish perspective is that there's a lot more years worth of um, traditions, of thoughts, of, of commentary on these sayings and on these texts. In the Jewish faith, it's called the Midrash and the Talmud, they are two um, different resources people use to be able to understand scripture a little better. In the same way, when I preach, I'll pull up my commentary called the New Interpreter's Bible Dictionary or, or maybe the Feasting on the Word. They help me understand scripture more. Um, in other faiths, they have those as well. In the Jewish faith, they have those for the Old Testament. And it was so interesting for me to read this book and think about Moses in ways that I never had before um, because obviously as a Christian, I'm always gonna read through this Christocentric lens. I'm always gonna preach about Jesus because I believe in Jesus. But to hear about Moses in kind of this original text way was really enlightening. And so most of the things that I, I preach about throughout the series, I, I'm not clever enough to have come up with on my own, and I'm willing to admit that. Um, it's just you know, my spin on the, this book that I found very informing. And uh, one of the things that I just want to share with you a little um, 
analogy that I found very helpful is that when we read the Bible, and I've shared this in my Bible studies, when we read the Bible, we have what is on the page and what is not on the page, right? The, um, the rabbis sometimes would call this the, the black fire and the white fire. The black fire are the words, literally the words. So if you look at my iPad right here, these are my notes, and you see the black fire would be like the actual words, the things that is there. And the white fire would be those things that are not there, the, um, the, the space in between that we don't understand because we are not living in that time. In the first century, the things like we under, don't understand first century. So it's these assumptions that writers might assume everybody else understood, but us 2,000 years later, we might not fully understand. And so it's, sometimes it's helpful to have these commentaries to help us understand what's going on. And so this white fire sometimes is the conversations you and I have about well, what do you think this text means? How does this text speak to your life? And so that's what I've been doing with this story of Moses over the past few weeks, past few months preparing for the series. And I've really enjoyed it because it's helped me appreciate this whole story in a new way. And I hope that last week and today and the next few weeks will do the same for you. Because today we're going to look at a fami another familiar part to the story, but with some subtle nuances maybe we haven't thought of before. The text we just read might not be um, out of the norm for you. You might know about Moses fleeing Egypt along with the Israelites. Um, but I would like to preach today from the subject, don't think, just do. It's really hard for me to, to say that out loud. Don't think, just do. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Instead of doing an intro story, like I said, like I, like I normally do, you know, a story that draws us into the text and then continue the text, the, story, the text is our story. The scripture lessons are our stories for this series. And I'll have small little anecdotes throughout, but we're diving straight back into the scripture. Sound good? Good? Cool? Is that okay? I don't have any uh, super funny stories to start off with. I'm just gonna, we're just going after it right here at the Bible, all right? So just to fill in the gaps of where we were last week and where we are today, last week Moses was being called to go to Egypt. He was like, no God, I don't wanna do that. No thanks, appreciate it, but no. But in the, ends up eventually saying, okay, I'll do it. And he and his brother Aaron go to Egypt and they meet with the Israelites and then Moses has a bunch of back and forths with this guy named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the leader, and they think of him as a god in Egypt. And he is basically the king of the Egyptians. He is the, the overseer of all. And they have enslaved all the Israelites. All the Israelite people are slaves of Egypt who are forced to build pyramids. You're forced to make bricks. Your worth is about based on how many bricks you can produce. And so Moses, you know, he's just the shepherd guy just a few weeks earlier. Now he's gone back to Egypt. And he said... He goes up to Pharaoh, the king, the leader of the free world, and he, and he says, hey, you know all that slave labor you have that's like building you these pyramids, that's doing all the work that y'all don't want to do yet? Can you just let them go? Like, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, just, it might sound silly, crazy idea, um, but you should, you should totally let them go. And of course, Pharaoh, I mean, he's, why in the world would he ever think, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He must be like, you were just out of your mind. Um, like Beyonce says, boy, bye, just get on. And so Beyonce is a, an artist and singer, and so, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes she says, boy, bye, and it's in one of her songs. So he says, just get on, just get this stuff and get out of here. And Moses says, no, no, you really should consider doing this because um, if you don't, some bad things are going to happen. I'm just a heads up, just a warning, like, like bad things. And Pharaoh's like, whatever, we're not letting him go. And so then there are 10 different occasions where the Lord does something called a plague, he sends a plague upon the Egyptians in which it's supposed to help encourage him to let Pharaoh to let the people go and it doesn't happen, it doesn't work. So this back and forth with Moses, between Moses, God, and Pharaoh 
and there's these, these crazy things. Bugs come out the sky, like fire rains down, frogs become everywhere, people's skin is covered with boils, the water turns to blood, just apocalyptic stuff. I mean, and let's be honest, I'm not gonna lie, if I were like Pharaoh's best friend, and after the bugs like, just like took over, there's like bugs everywhere, I'd be like, hey, I will build your giant, weird tri- triangle pyramid things that I don't know what you wanna do with them, but I'll build those if you just let these people go because these bugs are killing me. I'm not a big fan of bugs. Did you know in Mobile, we have these flying roaches? <laughs> I don't know if you discovered these things or not, but I think they're left over from the plague. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying. So, but Pharaoh, he still wouldn't do it. He would not let them go until like the last time Moses um, says, just a warning, hey, this is gonna be it. And then God's gonna do one more thing that's gonna make you really regret not letting us go. And that becomes the night we know now as the Passover, where the Spirit of the Lord came and took the life of the firstborn of every person in Egypt, of every first child in Egypt. And when that happened, and the Egyptians, many of them had their, their children taken from them, um, then Pharaoh finally says, just get out. Just take your people and leave. And that brings us to our story this morning. That's, that's where our text begins for today. The Israelites have fled Egypt, and Pharaoh has indeed you know, said, just, just get on out of here. But then again, he changes his mind. They've let the people go, and then he changes his mind. But, so Moses realizes they have to hurry. They've got to get out of here as fast as they can. Because Pharaoh has regretted letting the people go, and so he takes his whole army, and he's going to chase after the Israelites into the wilderness. So, as you know, you might, you might know the, the story of the unleavened bread. The reason why at Passover sometimes, not sometimes, every year, they have bread that is not risen yet is because they're in such a hurry to leave, they didn't have time for, to let the bread rise. They said, we just got to go, got to go as fast as we can. And so what they do is they run. They take off and they head into the wilderness, this entire people group led by Moses, and they come up against a body of water. Now, we traditionally think of this body of water as the Red Sea. However, in Hebrew, um, it is, the term is Yam Suf. Can you say that? Yam Suf. That's okay, we'll all be Hebrew scholars one day. I don't really know Hebrew that well, just enough to be able to sound smart during a sermon. Um, but what is interesting is, I'm gonna show you a map right here. And so the pyramids were being built in Cairo, Right, so if you go to Egypt today, modern day Cairo, that's where the, you know, you'll find the pyramids in that area. However, to get to Israel and to wander through the journey through the desert, um, it doesn't really take us on a route through the Red Sea, which is down here, this big old body of water down here. What we have are these different rivers, tributaries, and the Yom Suf literally means sea of reeds. If it's translated literally, it's not Red Sea, it's sea of reeds. And so there was a body of water. Is either one of these bodies of water still there or something after the Suez Canal was built that is now dried up um, that they are on the way to? And the reason why I think it's important is because it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for them to flee all the way south and then try to cross the Red Sea and then come back up if that's where, you know, they don't know exactly where they're going, but that's where they end up. So you could take the, the story. It could, be, it could be Red Sea. It could be Sea of Reeds. But the most important thing to know is they came up against a body of water of some sort on the way out of Egypt. All right, and so we're gonna continue on with this story. So they, they came up against this body of water and they turn around and they see the Egyptians are pursuing them. And um, as the Egyptians are pursuing them, they're bearing down on them. The entire, the text is very clear about what happens next. The people, their entire tone and tenor changes. They got to this area where they have no way forward and they can't go back. 
and they're caught in between what seems hopelessness and obliteration. And they look at Moses and they say, dude, why did you bring us here? Was this your plan all along? Why didn't you just kill us in Egypt if you wanted us to die? Then they say to him, didn't we tell you this would happen when we were back in Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone? It's better. Let us just let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. What's funny about that Israelite complaint is it, it never happened. Like in our scripture story, at least, there's no evidence of, this, of the people ever complaining and saying, God, uh, or saying, Moses, no, 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 we don't want to be liberated. We like being in bondage. We like being servants to the Egyptians. Like, how illogical and irrational are these complaints from the Egyptians? It's funny how fear fogs our memories, right? When we're caught in an impossible situation, we look back like, life has always been way better than it is right now. Have you ever been there? Like, man, things just, even if you were in like this bondage and captivity, things are definitely better then than they are now. Moses, you've taken us to this impossible situation. Moses was a lot calmer than I probably would have been in that if somebody was like, he was just trying to follow the Lord, doing what God told him to do, leading the people, and then all of a sudden they're blaming him for what's going on. And if I were him, I'm like, hey, I'm just doing what God told me to do. You never asked me to leave you there. Y'all were all gung-ho and everything seemed like really exciting. We were having unleavened bread, but now you want to kill me and now you want to come against me and now you just, I mean, but Moses does not respond that way. Moses is a much calmer person than I am. He says to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Can you imagine? Just imagine if you're like one of those Israelites and you see like water, army, leader, NBD guys, it's all gonna be good. Just be calm. We'll figure it out. You know, just everybody just, just chill. I, I'd have been freaking out. I'd have been like, hey, come on, man. That is not some good advice. But when I read this text and, I, and then I read that book, you know, from these different interpreters from the Jewish faith, it was very interesting, um, a fascinating interpretation that I came upon and that I want to share with you. I told you these rabbinic traditions, they often treat the text as black and white fire. They, they see these conversations going on, things left unsaid. And so they have conversations with one another about, like, what do you think was going on? At this time, it's, it's similar to what we do when we interpret the text whenever we interject ourselves into the story, whenever we say, hey, what would you think it'd be like if we were there? Or think about it from this person, this disciple's point of view, right? We do that a lot. That's kind of the same type of conversation which these ancient rabbis were having. And there's a fascinating tradition in Judaism that suggests that what we hear from Moses in verses 13 and 14 about them being calm is not simply Moses responding to the people as a whole, but offering different responses to different groups of people. It doesn't make much sense if you read that at first, but think about this. If, if you think about, if I were to, to suggest something about, um, about this room, like let's renovate this room, and I say, let's do some crazy colors all over the wall, let's put a disco floor on the ground, we're gonna shiplap everything up top, we're gonna um, put, you know, we're gonna put a pool in like the canteen back there, and we're gonna have worship in here, it's gonna be awesome. Now, Many of you might love that idea. You might, oh, those are all such, you're, just like, you're an interior designer, man. You just got a gift. Probably most of you would not say that. Many of you might like, well, I like the shiplap idea, but I don't love the crazy colors. Or definitely a disco floor, but no pool. I don't know um, 
in life, how many groups of people, at least our size, where we could ever have all of us on the same page, where we could all be of like mind, where we're all gonna like and experience life the exact same way? Have you ever experienced that in a group? Like if you're leading a good group and like this group of people, part, this small faction wants this and this faction wants this and you're just trying to like appease everyone? In this rabbinic tradition, these, these rabbis offer, maybe this is what's going on within this text, the same thought, that people are crying out, but maybe not crying out all the same thing. Some were crying out against Moses and how he had led them to their deaths. Others were crying out to God for help. Others are crying because they want to fight. And Cohen, the, the man who wrote this book, he informs us that this ancient rabbi interpretation says, perhaps there are four different groups that are crying out. And they were, let us throw ourselves into the sea, let us return to Egypt. Let us fight them and let us cry out against them. And so Moses' response in verses 13 and 14, if we put 13 and 14 back on the screen, it makes a little sense if you think of it maybe in, in this light. It doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be exactly how it happened. It's just an interesting way to think about it. Um, so Moses, to the group that says, let our throws ourselves into the sea, he says, do not be afraid. To those who want to return to Egypt, he says, stand firm and you will see deliverance. To those who want to fight, he says, the Lord will fight for you, in verse 14. And to those who cry out against him, he says, you only need to be still. So I'm not suggesting that this has to be true, that this is exactly what Moses, but it's fascinating when we sit through this story and think about it from Moses' perspective, it kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Moses is just trying to do what God's called him to do. And then he has all these different people who are crying out against him. I mean, crying out to God. All these different voices. Have you ever been there in life? Trying to do what you believed to be right. And you had all these different voices saying, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. This is wrong. Because that's where Moses was in this moment. And he's just trying to respond the best that he can. But the fascinating thing is about this text and the part of scripture that I'm going to spend the rest of the time on in this sermon is verse 15, verse 15 and 16. And right after Moses says to the people, you only need to be still, did you notice what the Lord says? Then the Lord said to Moses, not to the people, but to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Moses just told all the people, be calm, not a big deal, MBD, it's gonna be fine. But God says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? It's, it's an interesting thought, but I remember um, just a couple weeks ago, and I shared the story, whenever we were in the NICU with August, I remember trying to comfort Brianna and, and think to myself, and like, everything's gonna be okay, we're all gonna be fine, you know, God got this, it's gonna be okay, while internally just praying, God do something. God heal, you know, God fix, God, and internally I had this fear, and I had this turmoil and I had these prayers going on inside my soul, inside my mind, but externally, I'm just trying to be a comforting presence to my wife. I'm trying to reassure family members. Have you ever done that in life where, where you have your kids maybe looking up to you or friends or family members? There's some sort of situation going on, maybe a, a blown tire on the side of the road or something. And in inside, you're like, man, this is so frustrating. This is so awful. Hey, God, can you just you know, change the tire for me. And, but on the outside, you're like, hey, it's all good. Everything's fine. I wonder if that's where Moses was. That's what this, this rabbi, this same tradition, suggests that maybe we can think about it like that, that Moses, though he was telling everybody, it's all gonna be okay, 
On the inside, he's saying, God, please do something. God, please do something. God, please do something. We're caught up against this water and this army's coming. I have no idea what to do. I, you know, it's not like Moses has always trusted God. You mean, back to the call story. I don't believe you, God. This is not gonna work. So it's not like he has this great track record of always assuming everything's gonna work out just fine. And so as a leader, he's saying, be still, trust the Lord. But on the inside, he's saying, God, please do something. Have you ever been there in life? Have you ever thought, you know, I need to make sure that everybody knows that I'm calm, but inside I'm terrified. They're there on the edge, and Moses is just waiting for God to act, waiting for God to do something. He's desperate, he's terrified inwardly, he is, is, is shaking in his boot outwardly, he's trying to be a non-anxious presence. I remember my first chemistry class. I, um, I'm not very good at chemistry. In my AP chemistry class, I almost failed. But in my first chemistry class, I did okay. But I, I was not always great. And I, I would, during tests, the professor or teacher would let us come ask questions for clarification about something we didn't understand with the, the way the word of the question was on the test. He wouldn't actually give us the answer, but Mr. Pierce, you'd go ask him a question, be like, I don't understand this, and he'd like reword the question, or he'd say something to help you, you know, work it out for yourself. Like a teacher on a test should never give you the answer. Well, I mean, I wish they would, but they never did. And one time I go up there to ask him something about like calculating moles, and now I don't even know how that happens or what you do for that, and that's like the most basic thing ever. But I was like, so how do I calculate this? Like, what do I need, what, how do I do this? I'm, I'm you know, trying to tease out him to do it for me, and he says, you have a calculator, don't you? I'm like, that was it. <laughs> He's like, all right, go back to your seat. You have a calculator, don't you? And I think that's kind of where God, um, we, our relationship where we have God sometimes too. And as I wrap up the sermon today, I just want to, you know, I think where Moses was, was he was standing there on the sea expecting God to do something amazing, expecting God to part the sea, expecting God to kill the Israelites, expecting God to do something and so he stops and he's crying out internally, God, do something, God, do something, God, do something. He's caught between potential freedom and obliteration. And he's just sitting there praying on the inside. And then God says to Moses, not to the people, God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? And then in verse 16, remember what he said? Raise up your staff and stretch out your hand and divide the sea. He didn't say, I'm gonna divide the sea for you. He didn't say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that you don't ever have to worry about anything. He says, hey, Moses, I've empowered you to do great things. I've already given you gifts to make a difference. Miracles can come through you. Have you ever thought of that before? That it wasn't actually God that divided the sea. It was God through Moses. It was by the actions of Moses that something incredible happened. How often in life are we just sitting and waiting for the world to change? How often are we just saying, God's got this. It's all good. I can just sit back, do my thing, and God's gonna take care of it. How often are we caught in a place but it seems impossible and we just say, you know, there's nothing I can do. Maybe God has put a staff in your hand. Maybe God has given you tools. Maybe God has given you gifts to make a difference. If you're disturbed by something in this world, 
Maybe that's God stirring you to do something about it. Now, I will say, there are times in life, there are times in life where only God can work, where only God can move. But I think too often times we chalk everything up to that. There are limits to our human abilities. There are things that we, uh, I cannot cure cancer. I cannot on my own, by myself, but I believe that God can do healing. I believe that God does do work, but I also believe that God might be moving in some very smart person somewhere to help them one day find a cure. See, often we just think, God, do something. My life is, is tough. My finances are tough. My, my family's falling apart. My, my kids don't listen to me. God, you just need to fix this. Have you stopped to think, Maybe God wants me to, to do something here. Maybe God is calling me. And for those of you who say, well, I don't have a staff. I don't have gifts. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I don't play music. I don't, you know, I'm not called to full-time ministry. To you, I say this. God didn't only say, raise your staff. He said, raise your hand. And you know why I think God said that? Because often we think, if I don't have the tools, if I don't have the money to be a great philanthropist, if I don't have, you know, the house to, to put people up, if I don't have a whatever it might be, then I can't do God's work. God said, it's not just about what you have. It's about how I created you. God created Moses to do incredible things. And Moses didn't even realize it until he was put into an impossible situation. And God said, you do something. Why are you crying out to me? What gift has God given you? What, how can you raise your hand? How can we be the church that doesn't look at the world and say, God's gonna do something, it's okay. Somebody else is gonna take care of that. That's not my problem. How many of you, how many of us, when can we look into our own souls and say, I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna raise my hand. I trust the Lord. The hard thing is sometimes discerning what that looks like. Sometimes discerning, is this a time that I need to raise my hand or is this one of those times where prayer is, is all it is? It's all I can do at this moment. And that's why we have each other. Moses was not alone, yet Aaron. He had people that did want to fight the Egyptians. And so if you feel like, man, I, I want to do something, but, but I'm just one person. Know that, that we're here. Give us that idea. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Let us support you. Let us pray for you. Let us help you with the resources we have. And then in those other seasons where maybe th th there's some times where no amount of hand raising can fix something, let us pray with you. Let us sit with you. Let us love you. Because I, I said this last week, and I'm going to say this every week. I believe that God wants to do great things in you and through you, not just for you. God does want to do great things for you. But if we believe that, if each of us leave this place believing that God wants to do something great through me, this world will change. God's kingdom will be known on earth. God, we give you thanks today that you are working in our lives 
that you are with us now and always. We pray that you continue to help empower us so that we know how you want us to work, how you want us to help make your kingdom known, how we can be your hands and feet, how we can be your agents of change in this world. Let us make a difference in your name. Let us change this world because you've changed us. And so once again, we come to this table and we ask for forgiveness. We have failed to be an obedient church. There's times we have failed to recognize your love, to do your will. So forgive us, we pray, and free us. Free us like you did the Israelites from Egypt. Free us from fear. Set us free. Set us free for joyful obedience to you so that in all things you may be glorified. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.